0: Good morning. I was uh, had the opportunity yesterday uh, to go with my family, just a quick thought, and uh, to go to uh, a Worcester Tornadoes game, and uh, it, was, it was awesome. My wife was like, let's go, let's go, and I was like, it's going to rain. It was like a double header, started at 5 o'clock, I was like, it's going to rain. She's like, no, it's not. She, we sort of kind of got, I'm like, I'm not getting dressed. She's like, just take a shower, we're going to go. I get in the shower, I'm like... All I hear is 5 o'clock, raining. Um, and while we were there, one of the things that I saw that, um, that we were, I was really excited about, and it's just a thought, it really doesn't have a whole lot to do with my sermon, but I thought it was really cool, was, um, and as, my, as the youth will know, I can usually weave something back into my sermon. So this is, what it is, is that, if you've ever been to a professional baseball game, or um, like a boxing match, or something like that, as they get up, there's, like, the theme music. Like, they, every person on the baseball team has their own music that they come out to. And I was talking with some of the kids in the car. We, we, went, uh, we went on a little trip on Friday, and I was, like, asking them, what would be your theme song? Like, if you were to think about it, what would be your theme song to come out? Like, if Neil came out and, like, this, he's, like, in the back, he comes out of the door, the music is playing, and Neil's, like, you know, he's got the towel over his head, he's ready to bring the word. He's, like, I'm about to have it. He's, like, I'm about to throw it down. And, you know, I'm just joking. But um, I was talking to Taylor, and I was, like, oh, this would be my theme song. And one of the things that we saw last night was there was, as uh, the Whistle Tornadoes came up, one of the guys had a Christian song, and I knew that he was a believer just by the song. There was nothing about it. His theme song, everything that he lived, the 30 seconds that before he got up to bat, he proclaimed Christ. It wasn't anything that he did. Like, he wasn't out preaching. He just had an opportunity to proclaim Christ in 30 seconds just by playing a theme song. Jen and I was like, started singing the song. We're like, that's a Christian song. And if you listen to the song, it's, it's not like he was like, you know... How Great Is Thou Art, and he got up to bat, but it was, it was like a rap song or whatever, but it was enough for me and Jen to know as a believer that that person is claiming Christ because of the lyrics of that song and what was going on. And I just thought that was pretty exciting, and I did weave that into my sermon already, so that was awesome. Um, let's pray. Father in heaven, uh, we come before you this morning. Uh, we ask that you just be amongst us. Um, as I speak, God, I pray that it is your words through me. That it has nothing to do with me. God, as sometimes as I sit before I preach, my heart begins to flutter. It's not nerves, but it's because I'm about to speak your word and I am unworthy to do it. And God, I thank you and I pray and I just thank you for allowing me to just share this morning. I pray all these things in your name. Amen. This uh, A couple weeks ago, um, I had an opportunity. I was in Ridgecrest, uh, North Carolina. It's just outside of Asheville in a place called uh, Black Mountain. And as I was there, I was going to do a camp. And um, with no students, I actually got to go by myself, which was kind of cool. And um, we go in, and you're like, okay, we're going to take you to check in. And I check in, and I'm saying, hey, my name's Kent Hall. I'll be here As Bible study leader and all this kind of stuff and they're like okay all right, let's look at your stuff and so they give me my key card to my room and then they're like hey here's this thing I would like you to see and Jen's gonna pull it up and that's what it says it says notice bear alert I was like whoa I was like ah everywhere you go you know they always gotta say look you know up here we're like moose crossing how many of us have ever seen a moose in Sterling never okay but so that's what I thought But it says black bears have been seen, and then it tells you all these things. It goes on to the bottom. It's a full sheet of paper. and tells you procedures of what you're going to do and and what to do if a black bear shows up. And uh, so I was like, all right. Began to go for the next four days of training, and with my – getting to meet uh, the other leaders and the other staff, people of this camp, um, and I begin to – the students arrive, um, they're coming from all over. I was at a, a special week of camp. It was in, uh, called Black Church Week. And it was all urban kids from around the country. Um, we had kids from as far as California coming to North Carolina, the Midwest, and down South. And they're, most of these are urban kids, so they've not been in the woods that whole lot. And uh, so like a bug's going on and they're like, oh, and screaming. And uh, I was like, okay. But uh, so I'm Teaching my Bible study. So we do these, like, get-to-know-you games the first day, and I'm in this thing. It's called a shelter. It's basically like a two-car garage with three sides on it and one open, exposed side to the wilderness to let some air in because there's no air conditioning in these things. But, so, but mine backs up to a creek about 20 feet away from... Um, about 20 feet away from the shelter, so we're in there, I finally get them all sorted, and we're talking, and I'm getting into my Bible study, and we're right at the part where this is day one, where the idea for us is we're going to lay down the gauntlet, we're going to call these kids to really um, pursue after God, and this is my, this is the moment, and I'm preaching, and I'm, I'm not preaching, I'm speaking to them and teaching, and then one of the kids is like, Mr. Ken, Mr. Ken, and I'm like, yes, because I am really want to get into this point, and he goes, there's a bear. <laughs> and I'm like, whatever. He's, I'm like, you are not. I'm like, they all probably got the same thing. He just doesn't want to do my Bible study. He's kind of bored already. And I'm like, okay. So, but then I go, all right, all right, okay. And like, I look back, nothing. Then this young lady begins to scream.
1: <laughs>
0: and I'm like, maybe I should turn around again. Everything, all, the, all these kids start going crazy. I turn around to look behind me, and there's not a black bear. There's four. There is a mom and three cubs about 20 feet away from our Bible study. Um, Nevertheless, so I'm like, oh, that's awesome. So I'm like looking for my camera and like my phone. I'm going to take a picture. Right when I reach for my phone, I'm like, I'm never going to get these kids back to do the Bible study. And, uh, And I didn't. But, uh, so, just, I don't want to be interrupted by a bear, but if there is one, please scream, and uh, we'll, we'll get on with that. Um, today, the passage that I'm reading um, is, is from Ephesians. I've actually been studying Ephesians throughout the summer. It's been one of the, those books that just keeps, every time I go to do something, it's, it's Ephesians. It just seems to be the summer of Ephesians. And God just really put on my heart uh, to read a passage of Scripture. Um, it's Ephesians three, chap, uh, chap, uh, Ephesians three, verse seven through twenty-one. We're going to read today. But first, uh, we're going to read uh, together. Let's read Ephesians three, seven through thirteen. Jen pulls that up, I'm sorry, but I do not know what the number is. Nine ninety-five. People always say when I preach, I make them do stuff, and I do. And uh, I'm going to make you stand up. As we read God's word, let's stand up and read God's word together. I was made a servant of the gospel by the gift of God's grace that was given to me by the working of his power. This grace was given to me, the least of all the saints, to proclaim to the Gentiles the uncalculable riches of the Messiah and to shed light for all the administrations of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things. This is so that God's multifaceted wisdom may now be made known through the church to the rulers and authorities in heaven. This, according to the purpose of the ages, is our God. And, 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 uh, and confidence and and Faith in Him. So that I not, not, you, not be discouraged over any of my afflictions On their, their behalf, Let they are the Lord God. Amen. You can sit down. Thanks. This passage of scripture that I read and, and that we read this morning is one of my favorites. It's one of my, a couple of my favorite topics. One, yeah. As, you read, as we read this first part of the passage, we're going to read the rest later on. But the first part is all, is about proclaiming Christ. Here's Paul beginning to share his, uh, share his idea, his letter to the church in Ephesus. He's commissioned to take a message to the, just, uh, to the Gentiles. Just as salvation comes by grace, the mystery of the gospel literally is given to Paul. And he is burdened for the Gentiles. His idea to share with with everyone that he comes in contact with, Paul at this time, Paul's he begins his he begins his, this saying, i not worthy. I can't do it. I'm not worthy to be able to to share this message by his own qualifications, by his own resume. He shouldn't persecutor of the Christians. He shouldn't be. This shouldn't be his job." And Paul begins to say these things. Ah, I just, thought, you know, this is not. I'm not qualified, but. But what God does is he doesn't look at what the world sees as qualifications. God's qualifications to be used by him are different, are so different than anything that we could ever imagine. People who are who you think shouldn't be used for certain things, God says, I can use you to glorify me. I think a lot of us, I think a lot of believers have that same idea when it comes to sharing the gospel and proclaiming the gospel. I think a lot of us will say or would say, you know, um, I'm not really, I don't really know the gospel well enough. Or I don't know the Bible well enough. I've only been a Christian for a short while. I really can't do that. I really can't go out and share. I don't really think that's my calling. I really don't think that's me. And that's my favorite one. A lot of my kid, a lot of the youth that I have use that one. That's really not me. That's not my personality to go and go talk to someone on the street about Jesus. And I'm like, you know what? To be honest, what is that? It's an excuse. It really is an excuse. So many times we use things. God says that if we accept him, if we're calling ourselves Christ, uh, Christ followers, we are a new creation in him. God changes us. There is a desire in our heart. If we say, God, you know what? You're, I want to invite you into my life. I want you to be a part of me. God says, listen, I'm going to change you from the inside out. What you thought was you is no longer you. You are a new creation in Christ. The creator of the universe has given us a new lease on life as a believer. I'm not saying that, listen, if you're shy, God's not going to be like, okay, I want you to be a a televangelist right now and go out and proclaim Christ that way. But God is saying, if you're shy, there's going to be a way and an opportunity for you to show the love of Christ to someone else, even though you're shy. But don't think it's not in you, because I am in you. God wants to do so much in in each and every one of us and he does it because when we accept him into our lives, there is desire. There should be a desire. If we're going to call ourselves Christ follower, there should be a desire in our hearts to literally share the gospel in any way, shape or form that we can. Because our job as believers is not just to sit idly by. We heard uh, Andy share just a little while about that, you know, we can't sit just idly by, that it's not enough. God wants more. God wants us to proclaim who he is. Take Paul, the persecutor of all Christians, now proclaiming the gospel to the Gentiles. On the road to Damascus, Paul has an encounter with Christ that literally changes his life. Literally, he, not only his name changes, but his life, his, what he, everything, his focus, his ideas. Um, he began to have a new set of gifts, a new set of goals, and a new purpose in life. When we really let God come into our hearts, he changes us. God's plan through His Son, Jesus, was 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 to save the whole world and not just the chosen few. Before it was just the Jews, as we as we studied this morning about how um, Paul is called to share to the Gentiles. Paul is called to share to everyone to make the world. There is a fly on me. Sorry. There's um. That he's called to, that Paul is literally saying that, listen, not just the Jews, not just this chosen people for these centuries is the opportunity to know God. It is now open because of Christ, because of Jesus Christ dying on the cross. There's a path open for us, for all of us. Most of us that sit in this room this morning are Gentiles. This message is for us. But it wasn't just for God to do, and if God wasn't going to do it through a booming voice, he could from the heavens and literally begin to proclaim his own glory, and this is the message, this is the mystery, this is the gospel, and it could have come from this booming voice from heaven, but it didn't. It came through the church. He meant for us, those who are believers, those who are Christ followers, he meant for us to do it. His people, God's plan of salvation proposed before the world and executed in the cross, clears a path for us to God. Through Christ, the person has access to the presence of who God is and can enter with boldness and freedom. The cross has provided salvation, which cleanses us of our sins. The bottom part of this, Paul begins to write, and, he, and he's saying this is, should be, don't be discouraged, because he's writing this from prison. Paul writes this, this letter from prison, and he's like, don't be discouraged. This should encourage you, not discourage you. And I began to, as I was reading, I was like, "Wow, would this encourage people? He's in jail because he's persecuted. This is bad. You know what it is. Paul knew what he was doing when he went back to Jerusalem. Paul knew at that moment that he was going into harm's way to proclaim Christ. That the Jews would not, most of the Jewish leaders would not be happy with him as he opens up everything to, to the Gentiles, to us. They had said, we had been the chosen few, and the Jews were like very upset with him. But he knew that and still considered, said, listen, I am still going, no matter what the cost. I think for Christians in, in our society, it's the cost that keeps us a lot of times from sharing the gospel. Sometimes we are afraid of the cost, of what it would mean if we began to share with everyone. How many of us have had opportunities or seen opportunities to share the gospel and didn't because of the cost? I'm guilty of myself many a times with my friends and some of the people that I know that I have literally drop the ball, where God has said, here's an opening, and I was like, oh, I really, I really should have, and you look back, you know, hindsight's 2020. 20, we look back at those opportunities, and you know what, that was God trying to give me an opportunity to share the gospel, but I wasn't willing because I was afraid of the cost. It could be some of us don't share because of the risk that, um, of persecution in the workplace or at school. It could mean ridicule with our own family And some of our friends. But one of the questions that I'm going to pose to you, I'm going to pose to you now, is what if the person who shared the gospel with you never did because they didn't want to have the cost? Where would our lives be? Many of us, many of the students that I work with, uh, a lot of us, we say, well, tell me your salvation story. When did you get to know Christ? I was born into a Christian home. My parents shared the Bible with me, and so I accepted Christ at a very young age. What if your parents or grandparents never, ever accepted Christ? Where would the legacy in your own family in, of Christianity be if you, if your parents never shared or that person never shared? Where would you be? Most of you wouldn't be here this morning. I wouldn't be here. My parents at a very young age began to share the gospel with me. From the, from the day I was adopted into my parents' home, I was out doing evangelist that, uh, evangelistic an event that morning with my parents. They continued to share the gospel with me, but it was my grandfather who shared it with my father who then shared it with me, who now I share with my son, with both of my sons. And it is that, it is the legacy, this is what Paul begins to share with us, is that it, we need to pass it on, it is our responsibility as the church to begin to c- continue this legacy that literally was open for us in 60 AD, right at, this is the new church Paul is beginning to share with the Gentiles, opens it up for everyone, so that now, generation after generation, because people thought, of of how important the legacy of Christ to be passed down from generation to generation was so vital that some people took a stance, no matter what the cost, and literally stood up and began to share over and over again. This is what God calls for us. And you're like, you know, that's just not me. I can't do that. I'm I'm really, I just don't know if I have the strength. Listen, this is the second part of the passage is where God literally gives us the power. I love this because Paul begins to pray for this church. He says, okay, here's what the job is. Here's what's going to happen. Here's what's going on. But listen, don't worry because God will empower you. The passage in 14 through 21, it says, for this reason, we can all read this together. For this reason, I kneel before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. I pray that he may grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened within our in the, in a man through his spirit and that the Messiah may dwell in your hearts through faith. I pray that you, being rooted, firmly established in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the length and the width and the height and the depth of God's love, and to know the Messiah's love that surpasses knowledge, so you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Paul begins to pray in this passage, and he takes... A posture of kneeling to show his urgency of this prayer, the importance of this prayer. Most Jews stood and prayed. Paul literally shares that he is literally doing a physical act. He is lowering himself before the King, and he literally lowers his knee, his head below God, and his knees on the ground, uncomfortable but willing to do this because he knows that he's speaking to the to to God and the urgency. Paul begins to pray to the Father, not just his Father. But the heavenly Father, the Father of all fathers, of every family in heaven and on earth. Most of the time in Jewish culture, fathers—the word father it literally is means the last decision, the person who that everything goes through. Like that, no matter what decision, no matter how old you become, no matter how many people part of your family that you you begin to you get married and you have a family, you still go to your father for every decision to be made for help. This is what. Paul's saying when he begins to call him father, call God father, is because he's like, everything that I do, God, I pray that you just, you make the decisions for me. This prayer that Paul prays has four parts, and, and I'll go through these as quickly as possible. Um, the first request is for the inner strength, for inner spiritual strength. This is not when, this is not when the tough gets, uh, when, when the going gets tough and the, the tough get going kind of power. This is not the self-disciplined or positive thinking. This is not the mental renewing or, self, or self-talk or self or self-help or getting a grip on yourself or turning over a new leaf. This is the fundamental work of God from his spirit to our spirit. This kind of thing is that we can't do this on our own. There's no possible way to have that kind of inner strength to try to make it that we're going to just figure it out ourselves. No, it's not possible. God says this is for me and only through me and only through my spirit that this is possible. The second part leads, uh, this leads to the second part, a deep faith. This is not salvation. Paul's writing to Christians in this passage. And Christ takes up residence in our heart when we accept him. In John 14, 23, it talks about that. This is more than a resident faith that comes from salvation. This is Christ being at home in one's heart. A couple years ago, uh, our, our youth group I came across a book called My Heart, Christ Home we did a Disciple Now, which is an intense Bible study over three days on, on, what, on, what, uh, on this book. And it pictures a Christian's life as a house through which Jesus goes from room to room. In the library, which is the mind, Jesus finds trash and all sorts of worthless, worthless things, which he proceeds to throw out and replace with his word. In the dining room of appetite, he finds many sinful desires listed on a worldly menu. In, that, in, in this place... Of, uh, in this place of such things as prestige, materialism, and lust, he puts humility, meekness, love, and other virtues for which believers are to hunger and thirst. He goes through room, through the living room of fellowship where he finds men, uh, many worldly companions and activities, through the workshop where only toys are being made, in the closet where hidden sins are kept, and so on and so on through the entire house. Only when he has cleaned every room in our home can Christ dwell. Only at that moment when we have literally given God everything can Christ come and set up residency in our house, in our hearts, in our home, in our lives. It takes a full surrender. This deep faith that Paul talks about only comes when there is a total surrender of your life. It's not possible if God is literally kept out of a part of your life. God says, I want your whole heart, not just a little bit, not just a piece, not not just the part that's just convenient. To have Christ dwell in our hearts through faith means for him to be at home in every corner of our lives because we believe his promises and therefore become obedient to his word. The third part of this prayer is the strengthening of the inner man or woman. By the Spirit allows Christ to be at home in in all the rooms of our hearts. This enables us to know the vast dimension of Christ's love a lot of times we can't handle life without this love. Without the strengthening of, the, uh, of God's spirit, it makes it really hard for us to find out our own identity. As a father begins to, to share with their son or daughter their identity of who they are, God's love literally says, Listen, I am going to show you who you are in me. Many of us, me, myself, at the age of 13, I began to fig- try to figure out who I was. I remember being 13 years old, and having white parents and what that looked like and living in a neighborhood that didn't really look like me and really struggling to find my uh, my own identity of who I am it was not until 3 years later when Christ literally th- sent me and said listen i am your identity you know who you are because you have asked me into your life it took me 3 years to figure it out and many of us that come from places where we've had absentee dads or or situations where we really don't know who we are because the lack of a father figure in our lives, or the struggle of family turmoil, and we were trying to, we've literally tossed away some of our family members. Listen, God is saying, Listen, I'm gonna make you whole. I'm gonna give you a completeness. Your identity no longer has to be do as a believer with what your last name is. In the early in the Ephesians, God says, I adopt you into my life, I adopt you into my family. Not only that, but I give you the inheritance of a king and princes, and this is why we're called princes and and princesses, because our father is the king. Many of us don't realize that and don't claim that as part of our Christian faith, that we are adopted into the family of God, and the importance of that is that our identity lies there, because the worldly, as much as we love our parents, our family members, they will fail us over and over again. The inheritance of our own family may be gone or lost or whatever, but our inheritance in God is eternal, is forever. The last part of this is uh, of the strengthening of the inner man is that it's God's love for the uh, God's love, the father of all father gives us that knowing that God's love is not an individual accomplishment. It only occurs in the loving context of of the church and involves the whole church, not isolated individuals. To know this love that God's the strengthening of the spirit, it comes in the context that there has to be people around you. That idea of uh, you know that no man is an island is so true when it comes to the, the strengthening of God in our own hearts. To know the Father's love is to have is to be part of a family, which is the church, and also the church is responsible for knowing its family. Lastly, the prayer of God's fullness and the inner strength of the Holy Spirit, which is God's gift, gives us though gives to those who pray. They those who pray for it. We want to pursue God with our whole hearts. If Christ occupies every room in our lives, we will have the confidence and security in his love for us. This will allow us to love others, forgive others, help others, and ultimately share the gospel with others. I love the passage, the closing uh, of verses 20 through 21 that Christina actually read before is um, just a great example. If you didn't hear anything I said this morning, know this and know the power of who Christ is, who God is. Now to him to do it, who is able to do and above and beyond all that we ask or think, according to the power that works in you, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. I always ask our kids, our, our people to do stuff. I ask you to stand. We're going to play a song really quickly, um, and it is... As we play the song, I want you to think of two things. Well, there's two parts, actually. The first part is this. I want you to thank God for the person who shared the gospel with you. Literally, I want you to pray as Paul begins, as thanks God here for all who he is. I want you to thank God for sending the person who shared the gospel with you. And then that same part, in that first part, I go back to that first question. Where would you be if that person never did share the gospel with you or share the love of Christ with you? So that's the first part. We're going to play a song, and and the song really talks about how to love others the way that Christ has loved us. The idea of proclaiming who God is through our legacy to pass down what God and what other people has poured into us. How do we pass that down? What I'm asking you to do is one thing. I'm asking you to get up out of your seats. And when if God puts someone on your heart, I'm praying that you will come up to the front, and you will know that person that God wants you to proclaim him to. What I want you to do is come up to the board and write that person, he or she's name, or initials on the board. We'll have these out after out after the back, and I, and we'll keep them around for a couple for for a week or two to remind you of the person that God has put on your heart to share the gospel with. Right now, some of you are already thinking about that person. It could be a family member. I shared with you this morning the person that God has called me to share the, the gospel with is my sister. I believe her a long time ago, her and her husband have sort of her husband never been a believer, but I know that's who God has called me to share the gospel with over and over again. As hard as it is and how uncomfortable it is, I know that that's what God is. She's going to play the song, and, and just this will be sort of our, our last thing. Sign And sign it, and then Neil will come and take the offering in a little bit and play the song.
1: Father, you've called us to a commitment today, a commitment that you've prepared us for. Because you have intervened in our lives just like you did in Paul's in a way where we've experienced your grace and your forgiveness, and we've become new people, people who are capable of making the commitment to sharing the good news with others, of proclaiming the gospel. And God, through all these centuries, you've been working actively to fulfill Paul's prayer, that we would be strengthened in the inner person, that we would know the love of Christ and its boundlessness. We would know the fellowship of being with other believers, And be eager to share that with others. So God, thank you for the moment that we've had today. The moment to recall how you brought us into your family through your word. And the privilege that we have to share that word with others. And so we seek to honor these commitments. To be a blessing to others. And to give glory to you. For this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.